Welcome to Can They Do That? brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Can They Do That? Today, I'm joined with Gabe Roberts. How are you doing, Gabe? I'm living the dream, Rachel. How are you? I am also doing well. On today's episode, instead of diving into the nitty gritty, we're going to start with taking a step back and talking a little bit about educating on Florida law. As Nelson Mandela once said, education is the most powerful weapon, which you can use to change the world. So maybe we can change your world a little bit and teach you a bit about non-competes. So Gabe, as the attorney who specializes in employment law, first off, what is a non-compete? Yeah, a non-compete or a non-compete agreement is a simpler way of describing what we legally sometimes refer to as restrictive covenants, which essentially are phrases or conditions or terms in a contract or an agreement that restrict what someone can do um, in the terms of the agreement. So when we're talking about non-competes, those are terms in a contract that typically restrict where somebody can work and when they can work and what kind of work they can do. Non-competes, sometimes called restrictive covenants. Obviously, we have laws for a reason. So could you tell me about their intended purpose beyond just, hey, we're going to keep player A from stealing player B's show? Yeah, I think that's an interesting example um, when you get to what a non-compete could do or could not do, right? I mean, your your point is a good one that there's a purpose for some sort of restrictive covenants and then there's what's allowed and not allowed, but I don't want to get too buried deep into the details yet. I want to start more broadly, right, and generally talk about, you know, you asked what a non-compete was and, and we explain that and then the idea is, okay, well – are they enforceable or acceptable in all situations and and where are they appropriate? So because Florida is a state that in theory values its freedom of mobility when it comes to workers and the ability of the right to work and leave one job to go to another job, the idea of a non-compete is um, sometimes at odds with some constitutional freedoms we have in the state. And so because of that, there are specific laws in Florida that essentially limit uh, when and how a non-compete agreement can be enforced against someone. Okay, so plain Jane doesn't necessarily need to sign the non-compete agreement that her employer is giving her unless there's specific criteria or she's in a specific profession? I wish that were the case. You know, the the question of uh, plain Jane doesn't need to sign something and and all of that. Um, You know, unfortunately, the the practical reality in most situations is that if you're somebody who is offered a job and and you want the job and the people who are offering you the job want you to sign something, it's very, very hard to say, well, I'll work here, but I'm not going to sign that. You know, most most general workers and and general employees don't have that level of control or or freedom. Instead, it's uh, here's a job, here's the offer, here's the contract. If you don't want it, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll find somebody else. Now, of course, there's exceptions for people at executive levels and higher levels, but the average worker doesn't get that kind of power to turn down agreements. So when we're looking at non-competes and situations where they exist or don't exist, it, it unfortunately doesn't often come down to uh, whether the individual worker has the power to sign something or not. It typically comes down to, okay, I did sign this, and now I want to go work somewhere else. 
what options do I have to do that? And obviously you would want to consult with a lawyer if you're having questions so you don't accidentally breach your contract, which is a whole nother topic that we could get into. But you've mentioned, you know, non-competes, restricted covenants. They have times when they're enforceable and they also have times when they're not enforceable. Yeah, so the the main criteria, it's going to come down to a term known as a legitimate business interest or an LBI for short sometimes. And that is the idea that gets back to what I was saying earlier about because Florida is a state that has a, a right to work and a right to have mobility between jobs, if there's going to be a, a restraint on that ability to jump from job to job, it's going to need to be something that meets those criteria. And in Florida, the required criteria is that if somebody is seeking to enforce a non-compete agreement against somebody, the entity seeking to enforce it, so the company or the employer, they need to prove that they have a legitimate business interest and also that enforcing this particular agreement is reasonably necessary for the protection of that legitimate business interest. Those are the two main requirements. Needs to have the legitimate business interest and also a reasonable necessity to protect that legitimate business interest. If those two things do not exist, then in theory, it should not be an enforceable non-compete agreement in Florida. Okay, so we say LBI or legitimate business interest. Could we have some examples of what constitutes as a legitimate business interest? You know, there's going to be a lot of examples out there. And, and, you know, if you ask any employer out there that's trying to enforce a non-compete agreement, they're going to say that, you know, anything's legitimate business interest, but that's that's not the case. So in Florida, there's going to be an enumerated list uh, of what a legitimate business interest is under the statute. Now, of course, the Florida statute is clear that the things that are listed there, that's what a legitimate business interest could be, but it's also not limited to what's in there. So we're talking about items such as trade secrets, at least as those are actually defined in Florida law, uh, confidential business information, a substantial business relationship with prospective or existing customers, a goodwill the company has associated with specific geographic areas or locations, and then something along the lines of some sort of extraordinary or specialized training. Like a high-end doctor? Like potentially like a high-end doctor, even though, you know, when we talk about doctors and non-competes, there's a few uh, other exceptions and caveats there. But in, but in general, um, yeah, those are the items that are listed under the statute. And you asked for an example, right? And I, I think the easiest example is going to be something along the lines of when we're talking about, you know, valuable, confidential business or professional information. And uh, an example of that could be a customer list, right? So let's say somebody is an executive at a company who works in sales, and they have access to that company's list of customers, uh, the preferred contact information for those customers, their pricing strategies and everything that this company needs to make sales to those customers. If that salesperson were to leave the company and then go try to work for a competitor across the street and bring that customer list with them and then try to use that customer list to compete with their former employer, that's a pretty good example of when somebody has a legitimate business interest because they're trying to protect that valuable confidential business information. Now, to prove that there's a legitimate business interest in documentation on either the employer side or a lack of LBIs on the employee side, how would that look in the legal landscape? Yeah, I mean, proof can come in a few forms in cases like this. Um, but I think the thing to emphasize 
in this area is that it's not enough just to say that, well, if this person leaves my company, they'll be competing with me. Competition alone is not a legitimate business interest in Florida law. In fact, there's there's been some cases out there from judges in Florida who have said that, you know, for an employer to be entitled to protection, they need to show special facts over and above ordinary competition. And those special facts get to what the legitimate business interests are. So it's not enough just to say that I have an employee, they signed an occupied agreement. And they're now working for the place across the street that does the same thing we do. That does not create a legitimate business interest. The business interest could be, I hired an employee. They didn't know how to do this job. They weren't clear about how to make this particular widget. I used my experience as a company to give them special training so they can know how to make these widgets. And these widgets are what make my company money. That employee is now going across the street and they're using the training I gave them to make the same widget for the person across the street who's now competing with me. In that situation, we've now created these special facts that are over and above ordinary competition because we've established potentially one of those legitimate business interests, which is you know specialized or extraordinary training. So when we're talking about the LBIs, that's the kind of heightened requirement that Again, this is in theory what the law says should be out there, but in practice, this is not always how it goes. It is a very fine line. Um, you could dictate someone's whole career. I could easily see someone saying, oh, you worked for me. We did the specialized training and you have nowhere else you can go for 20 years because you spent all this time learning this one specific trade. It is, and it can be. And that's, that is part of why there are limits in place. You know, I mean, depending on the type of non-compete we're talking about here, there's presumptions about length and time. So for your standard employment agreement, if it's more than two years, that's presumptively unreasonable. Uh, and likewise, if it's less than six months, that's presumptively reasonable. And so because of that, most non-competes in the employment context are between six months and two years because the law says that is a generally reasonable amount of time. So you can't do the 20-year example you had there. Not all limits are, are, are going to exist or, or be enforced. I mean, you know, the Barbie and Brad Stahl example from a prior episode, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a relatively high-profile idea where one employee who happened to be working for Mattel at the time that he – potentially maybe thought of the idea of Bratz, the, the Bratz dolls. Does he own the idea or does Mattel own the idea? That's one one example of this. But, you know, the idea of controlling employees is that, you know, of course, if you're the company and you're investing legitimate time, energy, resources into training somebody, helping somebody, making sure that this person can not only be a successful employee for you, but also improve on their own professional or personal way, you know, you as a company, of course, you'd want to protect that and you'd want to have a way to make sure that it won't then be used against you uh, to to harm you down the line. It sounds like non-competes are really meant and intended to be a good thing. But wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to show my true colors uh, too much here, but, you know, the idea of whether they're intended to be a good thing is, is a whole other story. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, if you truly believe in a free market, and I think a lot of people would pretend to and not actually, but if, if you truly believe in a, in a free market then the idea of any sort of control is is antithesis to that. But, you know, some people believe in a free market only up to the extent that it hurts their own bottom line. And that's that's where a lot of the issue comes in on things like this. You know, later in this episode, we're going to we're going to be talking about some proposed changes in Florida law and and uh, how one of those proposed changes has, has kind of 
cause somewhat of a, a generational pushback within a certain industry. And, you know, it'll be interesting to talk about that when we get there. And you talk about a free market and the idea that any sense of control is almost a contradiction in of itself. Um, so let's talk a little bit about history. Gabe, can you tell me a bit about how non-competes came to be in Florida law? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't go back to the beginning because I uh, that's, that's a long time. I can tell you that the, the current statute we have in Florida law, I believe, was the, the first version of it was passed in, in 96 or so with some amendments here and there in 99 and other times. But really the, the statute we have now, which sort of memorializes this legitimate business interest and reasonably necessary and all that, was kind of just a codification of what had been for you know years and years uh, case law and, and, and things that courts had said non-competes. So the idea of whether a non-compete agreement is enforceable or or exists or proper, that idea has kind of existed for a while. Um, but the current statutes we have are are you know more recent, relatively speaking, in the law. I mean, anything in the you know late nineteen late nineteen hundreds, I mean the nineteen nineties is, is relatively recent when you're looking at contract law. And the idea is, in theory, trying to create a balance between the right to work in Florida and the ability for people to work uh, where they want and how they want. And also, you know, corporate and business interests to protect their own investments in training and, and trade secrets and, and whatnot. That's good to know. And that's just a little sprinkle of information so everybody is on the same track. Because the next question that I have is, since it was, you know, the late 1900s, um, some would say that is a little bit dated. I don't know if you're Obviously. referring to the, uh, the the meme going around this week as we're recording of the, the college professor who... I don't know if you saw this or not, but a college professor who had a, one of their students reach out to them and ask if it was okay to, to cite academic sources from the late 1900s. And, and by that, they meant a, a 1994 paper <laughs> who was a, you know, a, I don't know how old they were, but, you know, definitely at least an elder millennial, if not older, uh, put that, put that question on Twitter and, and said, I, I'll never recover from this. And, uh, I, I don't blame them as, as someone who, uh, just crossed into the, into my thirties myself. Uh, the, the fact that someone saying, uh, is it okay to cite a paper from 1994 because that might be too old is, uh, that's, that's pushing it, I think. But anyways, back on track, um, because it's been in effect for so long, obviously there's going to uh, be changes that have to happen. And I wanted to get into a little bit more about, why there have to be changes and why the law isn't perfect on the first get-go. Can we talk a little bit more about the need for these statutes to be changing and why there have been some proposals? Yeah, and I and I think, you know, look, every every law uh, should be or is designed to be uh, amended or changed as, as time goes on. I mean, if you if you look at the Constitution of the United States, it was designed to be amended, and the and the people who the people who wrote the Constitution they gave us our first ten amendments, and and then said, you know, and here's the ability if you want to amend it again as things change, uh, feel free to. And you know that that idea is kind of part of the founding of our country, and then so all of our laws are are meant to be amended, so to speak, when when the time calls for it. And in the context of non compete agreements. You know, there's there's a lot of push and and traction out there to get those amendments in place because we're starting to see these move beyond situations of the you know sales executive who goes across the street with a customer list, or the 
high level executive of a company who wants to go and uh, create their own version of the same company to compete and and they're going to use some sort of special information that they know to do that. Uh, and we're getting into situations where, I mean, you know, the most popular example that, that I've seen cited a lot recently is uh, there was an example of a, a franchise of uh, subway, subway shops where the, the, the franchisee was, was having all of the uh, individuals who work in a subway and, you know, make sandwiches, right? They're having them all sign non-competes that said they couldn't go and make sandwiches at another restaurant, <laughs> right? No, yeah, don't go to Publix, don't go to Jersey Mike's, you know, uh, no, no free ads, but, uh, don't, don't go to, uh, to anywhere else. But, um, you know, obviously it got too far. It got out of hand and it is out of hand, right? I mean, and so because of that, there's been a, a bit a big push and, and the, the, the current federal administration, the Biden administration has made that sort of a priority, for their administration at the federal level. I mean, this goes back to July of 2021. So Biden's first year in office, he he files an executive order that's titled Promoting Competition in the American Economy and and talks a lot about these anti-competitive forces that are in place. And part of that is is limiting worker mobility. And so as part of his administration, the the president basically designated or delegated the the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, the chair of that organization, to look into non-compete agreements and and say, hey, if, if these things are, are hurting the economy because they're hurting competition, we should look into them and we should we should address that. You know, that is something they've <laughs> they've tried to do with the with the addressing, right? So this goes it starts really at the beginning of the administration in July of twenty twenty one and and then January of 2023, the the FTC has has come out with a proposed rule that would, in theory, ban non competes in the entire country. Not just for one profession or one field, just in its entirety. Just in its entirety, yeah. And you know, here we are in December 2023, talking about something from January of this year that, um, you know, spoiler alert, has has not gone into effect yet, and we'll get to why in a second. But yeah, that is sort of where a lot of this energy and effort has has culminated at least as far as the attention trying to change things and look at where what was happening uh was a yeah a proposed rule from a federal agency in january of 2023 that would have banned non-competes it would have made it illegal for an employer to enter into or attempt to enter into a non-compete to maintain a non-compete or to even to represent to a worker uh that they're subject to a non-compete so it was a the proposed rule is a blanket ban that would have essentially said non-competes are off the table for, for any company in the country. Now, as a expert in reading these proposals, do you see any way to have loopholes for employers? I mean, it, yes, they, you know, the, there will always be loopholes. However, I would say in the context of this particular rule, it's not the loopholes that are going to be the bigger issue. It's going to be uh, step one, having having this become an actual rule, become an actual law, which we'll talk about how that happens and, and why that hasn't happened yet here in a second. And then also having it stay in power and maintain its ability as a law, because I I would be shocked if the the rule as proposed by the FTC was something that a year from now we're looking at as yeah that's the law of the land and and no one's doing anything about it. Are you skeptical that it's going to be a law that's enforceable? Are you or are you skeptical that people will actually enforce it as law? <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say either is exactly right. Uh, I do think there might be a couple days somewhere in 2024 where it's a law, and then that might be all that happens. And the reason the reason why is because of the the, the process, the procedure for how these things happen. So I'll, I'll try to be uh, as general and, and efficient as I can when I talk about federal regulations and how these things happen. But uh, it is a very dense and complicated area of the law. Uh, essentially, how this is supposed to work is a federal agency does what's called a, a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is where the agency, so the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission here, they publicly do a notice that says, we are going to issue a rule that would ban non-compete agreements. Here's what the rule looks like. We are now opening this up for public comment. And then they give a period of time for the, the, the public to submit comments to the agency, the FTC, and then they review those comments and they make a vote on, okay, our proposed rule said this, we got these comments and these comments, we reviewed them, and so we're going to vote on whether this proposed rule becomes a final rule. That is typically, you know, a, a lengthy process, but not too long, you know, a few months, maybe half a, six months, maybe, you know, could be a year, depending on the particular rule. And um, we're looking at a much longer process with the FTC non-compete rule. The timeline here was January of 2023, early January, the 4th or the 5th, the FTC did its notice of proposed rulemaking and opened it up for public comment. And originally they said, okay, comments are going to close in March. And then they said, okay, fine, comments will close in April. And they tentatively announced that sometime in June or at least summer of 2023, they would uh, announce their, <laughs> their final rule. That has not happened yet. Uh, comments did in fact close in April of 2023. And then apparently, this is from a, a report from Bloomberg Law, apparently they had over 27,000 comments were submitted on this one particular rule. And it's going to take them some time to go through all those comments and, and do their due diligence and what they're supposed to do here. And they, uh, the report, at least, is that by April of 2024 is when there'll be a vote on a final rule, meaning that hopefully by April or May of next year, We'll, we'll have at least a final rule in place on non-competes from the FTC. Which means in May or April of next year, we'll, we'll probably be talking about this topic again, just to keep everybody <laughs> updated. And of course, there's probably going to be a lot of change from now until then. Once a rule goes into place, that's not the end of the story. There will be lawsuits. Uh, there's already been a couple entities that have come out and said that if a rule goes out that bans non-competes, they will file a lawsuit. You know, just given given our current sort of uh, judiciary, putting putting aside whether the FTC is going to go through the proper process or not, which in my opinion they are, they're taking their time here, most likely uh, someone is going to challenge this and it'll end up in front of the right judge who will... Uh, issue what's called an injunction against it and essentially say that the FTC did something wrong and therefore this rule should not go into place. And then that'll get appealed and then that'll get appealed. And um, let's say hypothetically there is a, a rule in place in May of 2024. I would guess that probably by November of 2024, the U.S. Supreme Court will be hearing arguments. Eh, maybe it could be November of 2025. <laughs> the Supreme Court will be hearing arguments on that rule. Who knows what the court will look like at that point? Um, there's at least one presidential election between now and then. So who knows what kind of court will be ruling on this when a final rule is in place? And so it is it is certainly a fun exercise to speculate on what may happen here with the FTC and its rule. 
But I would say from a practical perspective, as far as what does this mean for non-competes, whether Florida, nationally, otherwise, you know, the FTC rule is more of a, a helpful guidepost to kind of bring attention to the fact that these these agreements are an issue. They need to be reviewed. They need to be looked at, uh, and they will be scrutinized more now. But I, I would not hold my hopes out if I were anybody out there with a non-compete that um, these things will not be in effect at any point in the near future. We do have another episode where you've signed a non-compete and maybe you're trying to get out of it. So if you are interested in trying to see if there's a way to get out of your non-compete, please do check out that episode. It's in season one. So now going forward, we've talked about the FTC and we've talked about different ruling. Are there any other motions right now that we should raise our eyebrows at? Yeah, there's been some other other efforts, other things happening out there, right? And this gets to the idea of what the what the FTC is trying to do is the FTC is trying to have a, a federal regulation put in place that says non-competes are illegal in, in the country. Um, that's that'd be, you know, that would be an extreme measure if that happened. Other agencies and, and other other efforts are out there that are a bit, you know, more narrowly tailored and, and in my opinion might have the chance to do to to do more to properly curtail the issues with them. So one thing is that the the NLRB, which is the National Labor Relations Board, in May of 2023, uh, their general counsel, she issued a memo that set forth her view essentially that the enforcement of non-compete provisions and employment contracts and severance agreements violates the National Labor Relations Act, except in limited circumstances. And um, the memo is actually a really interesting read. It goes through some specific examples on on why the general counsel feels that way. But really, it focuses primarily on the the fact that a non-compete agreement could potentially chill uh, an employee's exercise of their protected rights by really denying worker mobility, right? When we when we talk about these non-compete agreements and why they're getting attention and what the issue is, at least at the federal level, the the thing that both the NLRB and the FTC, in a sense, are concerned about is worker mobility and how that hurts competition. And so that's what the NLRB is looking at with their memo. And as always, going back, free market, what's a free market if there's no competition? Now, let's talk a little bit more on like a Florida level. Are, is there anything going on in Florida right now that we should be bringing our attention to? And Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we, we started this conversation talking about the specifics of, of Florida law, and then we took a detour with some fun uh, federal enforcement priorities and, and federal changes. Uh, and, and one thing I, I should note is that if that hypothetical FTC rule ever did become law, it it does state that it would supersede any state law. But, you know, again, will that happen? I, I'm not so sure. Um, but Florida has had its own uh, its own proposed changes, at least, right? Not at the same level, not to the extent of banning non-competes or getting rid of them. Um, but actually in August of this year, August of 2023, a, a bill was introduced in the, the Florida House that would ban non-competes in a very limited context of just for medical doctors. So what that bill actually would do if it, if it were passed is it would amend the Florida statute regarding non-competes to essentially have it state that um, when we're talking about these LBIs, these legitimate business interests, the law would now be that there is no legitimate business interest that could support a non-compete for a medical doctor. That's the proposed change, at least. Um, it's still in committee, and nothing formal has happened with it. But it's it's pending out there, and maybe sometime in 2024, that could become a, a bigger issue here in Florida. So obviously, there's a lot of change going on, and that means that everybody should start 
educating themselves to be prepared. You don't want to suddenly wake up one day and you have no idea how to handle this. Let's say somebody has a non-compete right now and they don't quite understand what their non-compete is saying, what their restrictions are. What do you advise that they do? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm required to say that that person should should talk to an attorney, right? It'd be it'd be against the against my own self interest and my own paycheck if I didn't say, yeah, call an attorney. But I, but I, I you know, put jokes aside, I do actually think that's important because the thing about non compete agreements, as compared to other contracts, is that there are multiple layers, legally speaking, when we talk about a non compete. There is the general contract layer, which is something that a lot of non-attorneys can figure out of, okay, I, I signed a document that says I can't do X, so therefore I can't do X. And on most contracts, that's where the analysis ends. When we're talking about a non-compete, the analysis is deeper than that. It's not only, okay, I signed a contract that says I can't do X, but are there situations where I can do X? Well, it's going to depend on if your employer can show that they have a legitimate business interest that is reasonably necessary to prevent you from doing X. And if they can't do that, then it might not matter what the actual contract language says as far as what you can or can't do because it may not be enforceable. Now, is that advice to, to take to the bank and you should look at your non-compete agreement and say, well, these aren't enforceable anyways? No. No, I would, I would not recommend against that. And in fact, that's part of why it's so important to talk to an attorney when you are concerned about a non-compete agreement is because we can give you the advice of, yeah, you might be in trouble if you do that or, well, you know, you may have some defenses here. But the important thing to note with non-compete agreements is when we're talking about, well, you may have some defenses here. I'm talking about defenses after you get sued. Most employers are probably still going to file that lawsuit. They're going to say you breached your contract and then you're going to have to go to court and you're going to have to show a judge that, well, yes, what I did, it might have breached the contract based on the language of the contract. However, that contract's unenforceable because under Florida law, non-competes require X, Y, and Z, and the other side didn't prove X, Y, and Z. And hopefully, hopefully you, you win by arguing. If you want to get a little deeper into that, again, the episode that we have on how to get out of a non-compete is a great listen. It'll also start turning your gears on whether or not you think you should get out of your non-compete, whether it is too restrictive or whether it was not formed in a legitimate business interest. Um, so first, I want to say thank you, Gabe, so much for talking to me today about non-competes. And I hope that at least one listener out there did learn a thing or two, because I certainly did. Yeah. You know, last comment is that non-competes are unique. They are complicated. They are changing. And um, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're an employer out there, if you're a company out there and you've, you've heard this whole conversation and, and you're saying, that's ridiculous, I make all of, my, all of my employees sign these things, how dare he say that I can't do that? You know, give us a call. Let's talk about, let's talk about a situation where maybe, maybe you might need to change the language of your agreements or, or making sure that things are, are tightened up for you. And if you're an employee out there and you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm free to go out there because these things, you know, they have to show X, Y, and Z to enforce them. And I don't think they can show X, Y, and Z. I would recommend caution. And I think you should talk to an attorney as well and, and, and really go through, okay, I'm currently doing this for one company. If I go and do that same thing for another company, what does my contract say I can't do? What does Florida law say the contract can do? And also, how is anybody going to be hurt by that? Because those are the things to look at. So these are complicated. 
you should always talk to an attorney about anything involving a contract and you know hopefully us here at the scott law team can be those attorneys for you if you would like to schedule a consultation with us please call 561-653-0008 or you can find our website at www.scottlawteam.com there's a contact us form on one of the tabs you'll see it to the right Thank you again, Gabe, for joining me today. And as always, be sure to like or subscribe or follow whatever your platform that you're listening on requires so you never miss another episode. Until next time.